WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 140. The Billabong Pro Pipeline, the opening stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, is done and dusted, with five-time world champion Carissa Moore and Australian Jack Robinson taking home the wins. Uh, Tricky forecast for this year's event, but the world's best surfers put on some awesome performances. The next stop will be the Hurley Pro at Sunset Beach starting on February 12th. The event will stream live on worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 140. We are back with my co-host for this season, breaking down the winners and losers of the Billabong Pro pipeline, answering listener questions, and diving into the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings following the opening event of the season. Please enjoy the lineups conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. The good old clap, take one. That's right. How many of you knew what you wanted to be when you were seven years old? I did, I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest? We can shut you lips. And now I just say, put them up once, it's got He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT if you want. I thought you were boxing. 
right, the lineup is back. Um, we are we're a little off schedule this week due to the sliding forecast and schedule for the opening event of the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season. Although I will say I do appreciate that we've developed a little operating rhythm with our listeners that expect these episodes every Tuesday. I got a lot of alarm messages when there wasn't one, and so that's that's nice to see. But we're here now. My colleague Mitch Salazar and I are hitting the mics um, mere moments after the completion of the Billabong Pro Pipeline, the first event of the season, uh, won by five-time world champion Chris Amore. And there's really no other way to describe him other than ascendant. He is an ascendant Australian world title contender, Jack Robinson. Um, Mitch, we're here. We made it. What are your very, very fresh impressions of the opening stop of the season? Well, I think the biggest thing for me, Dave, is seeing the victory of Jack Robinson at a place as iconic as Pipeline. I mean, winning this event over Leo Fioravanti, who has been an incredible surfer throughout his entire career, really unexpected result on his behalf, especially after injuring himself at Pipeline several years ago. He had broken his back, but ended up with a runner-up finish here. But Jack Robinson, to me, defeating John John in the quarterfinals really cemented his position as one of the best surfers at Pipeline today. Yeah, it, it, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and obviously, we'll probably get into it in, in the upcoming segments. It wasn't the most blessed of forecasts we've ever had. But my God, like the surfing on both sides, the men and the women, like was incredible. Like even sort of um, the penultimate day, John John had his Houdini 9.93 wave at backdoor. He came in, he goes, it's not very good out there. And, and like the entire surfing world sort of wrote John John off as he's traveling through that barrel and then he just pops out. And it's like, it's so cool to see that the surfing is still so amazing. Even when you do have an event that doesn't have the best waves, sometimes it's still entertaining. And I think the stakes of the world's best surfers kicking off their season and hunting those world title campaigns is, uh, it's exciting. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially when you're considering that we're talking about the very elite surfers in the world. These surfers know how to compete in any kind of conditions any given day, too. So it's not surprising to me that somebody like John John, who grew up in front of this wave, was dropping the highest heat total of the event. A bit surprising, though, that uh, two of the judges on that 9.93 held back. They gave it a 9.8. I personally thought it was a 10-point ride, and I work with a lot of these judges all the time, too. So, you know, the scale is has been kept back the last few years, Dave. As you know, they're really wanting to progress and innovate as much as possible. But at a wave like Pipeline, with the conditions that we had, to me, that was a near-perfect heat from John. Yeah, it, it is a trend, though. You notice that at the start of kind of every season where the scale is a little bit conservative, right? Because they're like, these are the world's best surfers. We don't want to start throwing 10s right away. And, and I don't even think that's like a formal conversation they're having. I just think they're all kind of programmed to be like, we know everyone can do more. Like, but you're right. Like that was, that was a pretty amazing heat for those conditions. And, uh, but you know what, we're going to get into the, the meat of today's episode, Mitch, and, and you've got the opening segment. So why don't you, why don't you break it down for the listeners and, um, what are we going to be doing here? Yeah. So we're going to do winners and losers here in our, in our first segment of this episode of the lineup. And it's a pretty interesting topic, Dave, because when we talk about the biggest winners, there's definitely people that shine at this event. There's people that brought out the best in themselves, but there's also a lot of people that did not prove what they needed to prove at the Billabong Pro Pipeline. To me, the biggest loser out of this event was Stephanie Gilmore. We're mm. talking about the reigning world champion, loses out in the second heat that she's ever surfed at Pipeline 
And to me, Dave, this was not a performance of an eight-time world champion out there in the water. It, it was pretty odd to see Stephanie look for waves that weren't necessarily out there in the two heats that she surfed and then ended up losing to a couple of surfers that are barely new to the championship tour and that most of them don't even have the same kind of experience that she's even had at one single event. So that's my mm. biggest loser so far. That's that's interesting. And, and uh, I had actually a similar one for, for my opening loser. But but instead of Steph directly, I said anyone shipping the pairing of the uh, reigning eight time world champion, Stephanie Gilmore and Pipeline. So so basically I'm the loser here um, because <laughs> between, you know, Steph's non-appearance last year due to covid and her 17th this season, as you pointed out, following to rookie Katie Simmers and uh, replacement surfer Alyssa Spencer in the elimination round. Um, it's not what I dreamed of for Steph and, and, and pipeline and backdoor. I can't imagine it's what Steph dreamed of. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how she's able to rally back at sunset next week. If I remember uh, correctly, she didn't have the best performance out there last year after missing the first event. So it's not though that she missed the opening event, but it's, it's sort of a non-performance for her out at pipeline. So we'll see how she goes at sunset. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe she has won an event uh, during the CT career of her in 2008 at Sunset Beach. So she's done well there before. Obviously, that was an event that was long ago, around 15 years ago. But we're still talking about a dominant surfer at a right-hand point break, and especially a wave like Sunset Beach that carries a lot of power. Should be good for stuff. Now going to my second, um, it's it's cool to see that I went my biggest loser, and you won your third biggest loser, so we're kind of like a little contradicting <laughs> right here. It's It's nice. So my second biggest loser at this event, I'm going to go with Felipe. You know, I thought he had a great opportunity to make it all the way to the final and ended up with a victory, which would have been her first, his first victory at Pipeline. Ended up losing in the quarters to Joao Chianca. Mm. Not necessarily surprising, but I guess with the conditions that we had today, I was expecting him to go all the way or at least try to manufacture some, some scores that weren't necessarily out there, Dave. That's interesting because I think... You know, Felipe is, he's not been shy about saying, you know, places like Pipeline, places like Chopu, he hasn't had the results he's wanted to in his career. So on paper, you know, a quarterfinals finish for Felipe at Pipeline is pretty good, right? But I think looking at the conditions today, you're like, oh man, his fangs must be coming out because he he could easily win in these conditions. And it was such an interesting heat with Zhao, like, like, it looked like Felipe was still trying to hunt those barrels while Zhao went to the face. And, you know, they're both fantastic surfers, but you'd probably argue that if it was face surfing in turns, you know, nine times out of 10, you'd probably be betting on Felipe just because he's so dominant in that kind of surfing. But he really didn't go to his strengths. And I think that might just be a function of like, well, I'm here at Pipeline and Backdoor. I think the barrel's going to score, but those waves weren't there for them today. My uh, my second uh, loser is the, the quote unquote uh, San Clemente Cyclone. Um, you know, this is a moniker that's been popping up lately. Um, I feel like it's probably a marketing response to the Brazilian storm. And <laughs> and and honestly, I am unsure if if both Griffin Colapinto and Colohe and Dino count themselves as members. But um, neither of them had a, a righteous showing at Pipeline, both going down in the round of 32 with, with pretty small heat totals. You know, Griffin... He's had a lot going on since since nearly missing out on the Rip Curl WSL Finals in 2022. He, he switched from his longtime sponsor, Billabong, to Quicksilver. He then signed with Red Bull. This is not the start he wants to his season. And, and Kolohe, while he's maybe at a different 
stage of his career than Griffin, he's still so capable of performing at virtually every stop. And he obviously wants that elusive first CT uh, win of his career after having this a radical amateur career. Um, you know, both of them are awesome surfers. I look forward to seeing what happens at Sunset Beach for them. But um, whether they are or aren't part of the San Clemente Cyclone, I think, um, you know, as far as surf towns go, that that town has so much talent and I think that they can get much better results. That's a great point, Dave. I, I really do think that both of them have a lot more to give than what they've shown so far. Maybe not only at this event, but despite Griff's wins last year, I feel I still think that he's capable of winning a world championship even this year still. So to go into that, he's actually my third biggest loser at this event. Mm. Thought there were great conditions for him. You know, he's a good surfer at Pipeline and Backdoor. And if you've seen social media, he's been out there basically every day. He's been charging. He's had a ton of wipeouts, but it also means that he's putting in his time. So the performance that he had here at the Billabong Pro Pipeline, especially knowing that this was an event that he needed to do well at, so that way he's not pressured into the next four events. First of all, making the mid-year cut, but then gaining some ground on everybody else afterwards. I think that Griffin lost a big opportunity here to capitalize, at least on a quarterfinal finish, Dave. I like it. I like it. Well, my uh, my third loser uh, for the, the opening event of the season is... Um, I'm not really sure how to identify it. I'm not sure if it's La Nina. I don't know if it's surf forecasting. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I think I, you know, it's been a rough season um, wave-wise to start the year off in Hawaii and, and really in a lot of places. There's obviously been some magic moments. The Yeti Swell, won by Luke Shepardson, oh my God. But overall, pretty tricky. Tricky winds, tricky swell directions. And I think we're going to have to get Kevin Wallace from Surfline on here to talk about where surf forecasting is at these days. Are there are there less buoys? Is it less data? Do we need more meteorologists? Is it La Nina? Is it the Earth's core rotation wreaking havoc on surf conditions? I, I personally, as a surfer, need answers. Um, but that said, it does look like, um, as far as forecasts go, there's going to be waves on tap for the upcoming event at Sunset Beach. And I am looking forward to that too that's a good pick i mean you're not wrong definitely really hard to predict especially at pipe but when we have such a long waiting period for an iconic event you'd be expecting at least four days during that waiting period to be solid waves I would have to say we maybe had two if we were lucky, Dave. Yeah, and I and I joke, right? Because I think forecasters get a bad rap because if the waves are bad, there's nothing they can do about it. But you're constantly <laughs> like reading their doomsday predictions on like it's going to be a rough couple of weeks, and you're like, God damn it! Like, can't you do something? You're Surfline or you're whoever, right? Um, but anyway, I, I have I have a lot of faith that it's going to turn around for us pretty soon here. Um, and on the topic of turning around. What are the winners? Who are Who's your first winner for the event, Mitch? I mean, the biggest one to me has got to be Jack Robinson, you know, ending up in the top three positions last year in terms of the rankings. He made the Rip Curl WSL finals, had back-to-back wins at both Margaret River and G-Land. Opening up the year with a win at the Billabong Pro Pipeline, it's huge, Dave. And we're talking about an elite surfer, a person who I think is a world title contender. I think this is huge for him. Puts him in the right direction to qualify again for lowers this year. And I think at the end of the season, he's going to be there. What about you? Who's your first one? 
Uh, my first winner for the event was um, broadly just coaches. Um, you know, it seems like the coaches are out in force these days. This is nothing new to surfing, but I had the good fortune of being on the ground in Hawaii for a few days. And I couldn't turn around without running into someone that was supporting one of the world's best surfers. You know, Leandro Dora, Glenn Hall, Love Hodel, Shane Dory, and Tom Whitaker, Ross Williams, Mike Parsons, Reef McIntosh, and on and on and on. It is so cool to see such established names and, and so much surf IQ surrounding, you know, the world's best surfers as they're competing. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I feel like the stakes are so high on tour these days that every surfer is looking for an edge and they're looking for who am I going to be working with? Is it this person? Is it that person? Oh my God. Like that person's coaching my rival on tour. What's going to happen? So it's, it, it's just a fascinating thing. And it was cool to see everyone out, um, at the opening event of the year. And, uh, I'm sure it'll continue at Sunset Beach. Oh, it definitely will. And I mean, that's actually a great, great selection. I've gone with only surfers so far for my <laughs> winners and losers. I don't think I've continue. gone with any. So I think we're, we're balanced <laughs> out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to continue the trend, though, Dave. I'm going right, to continue right. the trend. My second biggest winner out of this event, it's no surprise, it's Lakey Peterson. Mm. Semifinal finish. Missed out uh, for the Rip Curl WSL Finals last year. She's a California girl. She knows lowers very well. She's won an NSA Open national title there before. I love to see her compete there. I think if we see her on the long, perfect walls of lower trestles, especially during the month of September, she can do a lot of damage. She could be a world champion at the end of the year, and it would be her maiden one. So starting off with the right foot at pipe, semifinal finish, I like it, Dave. I like that a lot. And, and you know, Lakey is someone who's been so transparent throughout her career of being like, look, like there are certain types of waves that scare me. And even before the event started, it felt like, you know, similar to Griffin, she was just putting her time in out at pipe. She put the helmet on, she's working with Mike Parsons and she's just out there charging. And it really showed like the, the, the level of comfort across both tours, but specifically the women's tour, because they haven't competed out there for very long over the last few years, just collectively has gone through the roof. Like it's really impressive the way they're approaching, um, the, the setup there. And, and I'm with you, man. Like, I think that she's had a few years of, of rough injuries. She's had some sponsorship changes. She's dialed her boards in with channel islands and she's looking awesome. Like I'd, I'd love to see her in the final five come the end of the year. And, um, yeah, a, uh, my second, uh, winner is, um, a CT surfer, but, but not one that's on tour right now. And that is, uh, Megan Abubo. I loved, loved, loved having Megan in the booth. Um, I got to spend a little bit of time with her when I was out there and then I got to enjoy her on my TV the rest of the time. She is just <laughs> so humble, but so knowledgeable and articulate and, and someone who absolutely changed the game in surfing when she was competing in the late nineties and the early two thousands. And you know, just in addition to her built-in competitive experience, she has so much information on everything and everyone surrounding the sport. I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed her presence amongst the other broadcasters as well. I feel like she was bringing out the best in everyone. So so she's my second winner for, for the opening event of the year. I really like that pick, Dave. I haven't had the fortune of working with Megan so far as a broadcaster, but I know the time will eventually come. I think she's great. Um, you know, she's a former runner up in the world, triple crown champion back in the day, too. So when it comes to somebody having the knowledge, especially paired with Ross and Joe for the majority of the event, 
they brought out the best in each other. And I think as broadcasters, that's what we need to do. We want to uplift each other and we want to present the best information that we can, that we have at that moment. And that goes to my third biggest winner of the event. I actually thought it was the broadcast. I thought the broadcast was exceptional for this event, despite, you know, lack of waves and certain heats, especially that one day where we only ran the women's quarters, too. They were doing the best they could with what they had at that moment. And to me, that's what a broadcast should be. You look at a baseball game, it could be the worst game ever. And I'm a huge baseball fan, but sometimes it could be dull. You try not to make things dull. Whenever possible, I feel like they did that during this event. Huge props to Billabong too, and obviously our new sponsor Yeti as well. Yeah, for sure, and I think that's a great one. You obviously have more experience in the booth than I do, but I've been in there on occasion, and even when the waves are pumping, I don't think people appreciate how hard it is to be like, "Hey, I have to keep keep rolling here for the entire heat. I have to bring in stats and data and insights and live action and stories," and it's. It's challenging, and I think you're totally right. We had a, a difficult forecast this year, but they did a great job. You know, for my third winner, I intentionally left the the shapers out of winners and losers because we're definitely <laughs> going to get to that later. And, um, you know, we've touched on Jack. We've touched on Carissa. But for my third winner, I'm going to go with Leonardo Fioravanti. Um, you mentioned him up top. He fell off tour at last year's relegation. He clawed his way back via the Challenger Series, doing it after losing his main sponsor of Quicksilver, which he was with for pretty much forever. Um, and then going on a tear all event on, you know, Christian Bradley shapes. I really, really enjoyed it. it he's, he's such a good surfer in any and all conditions. And it feels like the challenges he's been through have actually made him a sharper competitor. And and it's that sharpness is letting his surfing, his best surfing, kind of come to the fore um, in, in a great way. And, and it looks like he's got something to prove. So I'm excited to see what he does at the upcoming events. I think he's going to go awesome at sunset. And then we head back to Europe, which is his home continent. And then uh, probably in his adopted home continent of uh, Australia after that. So I'm keeping my eye on Leo this season. I actually think that's an awesome pick, Dave. Um, there's more than meets the eye when you talk about Leonardo Fioravanti. Semi-final finish that basically sets him up for success in the first half of the season. He's basically requalified for the mid-year cut, just getting a couple decent results afterwards. But I agree with you. He was the only surfer in the semifinals or better to lose out in the opening round and be in the elimination round. Remember, he lost the heat with John, John, and Gabe, ended up in the elimination round, won the heat later that afternoon, came in and said, hey, you know what? This is my job. If I have to surf as many heats that I have to during an event, I'll do it. He's really a blue-collar surfer, and I love to see that in a competitor. He goes out there every day, brings the dog in him, and he's going out and competing, and I love it. So... That's a great point. Yeah. He He's a blue-collar surfer by virtue of... of where he comes from and what he's trying to do but this isn't a knock on blue collar surfing but he, he's kind like his surfing is pretty electrifying like it's pretty progressive you watch his edits and it's like the guy can do full rotations the guy can put it on rail the guy's super strong um so so it's cool i'm excited to see to see what happens with him for the rest of the season um I think that brings us to the end of winners and losers. That was pretty fun. I think we'll probably do that as many episodes as we can this year. <laughs> um, I'll try to add more surfers on mine next time. Um, and uh, But for now, we're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors. And we'll be right back. 
WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash lineup. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, welcome back to the lineup. This is episode 140. Mitchell Salazar here with Dave Prodan. And Dave, we've already gone over winners and losers. Now let's get into our fan mail. Instagram fan questions. First one for you, Dave. How has surfing changed, if at all, from when you first started up until now? I know you have a lot of days in the ASP and now in the WSL, so it's been a while. It's been a while. I mean, I guess... I mean, I, I might even answer from when I, I first started surfing, which, you know, I, as a teenager. Um, and it's so funny because I think about this a lot and like how your input points when you start something are so formative. And, you know, I got introduced to surfing through some friends. They were big into like the Lost videos. So we were watching a lot of what's really going wrong. We thought the chop hop was like the pinnacle of performance surfing. We thought San Clemente pier was like the most high performance wave on the planet <laughs> so we used to take the oc transit authority bus um 45 minutes to get there we'd be there all day have some casano's pizza and um yeah i think about that a lot um fondly but also from like you know 
in terms of like opening ingredients to someone's own surfing career, like maybe it would have been better to do like searching for Tom Curran and surfing lowers to start out. Just it's like, no, it went that way. And so I don't know, like when I started, it was still so, so and sure for you too, like pretty punk rock and, um, outsider based, you know, and, and it was always kind of wrestling with a mainstream identity. Um, but the surfing's changed, the equipment's changed, the sports changed like a ton. Um, and as you pointed out, it's changed a ton, even since I started working at the ASP. I think the biggest thing I've noticed in terms of changing at work is that when I started, you'd have competitive surfing, you'd have the world's best surfers on tour doing their best competitive surfing and then they'd take the singlet off and they'd probably do their best surfing, you know, and it was very yeah. rare that those were one and the same things. And I, I think honestly, from a combination of a lot of factors, I think tour structure, I think evolving criteria, I think something that doesn't get a lot of credit is actually the judge's interpretation of the judging criteria, because right. that encourages the surfers to push it or not, depending on what they're scoring. And I think over the last decade and a half, you've seen the best surfing in the world happening in the live arena because of a combination of those factors. And that's awesome. Like that's, that's our business, you know, like if we're progressing the best surfing happening in the live arena, um, then we're doing a good job as a business. So that's kind of the, the biggest thing I, I think that I've noticed when it's, that's changed since I started. What about you, Mitch? What, what about for you personally and professionally, what's been the biggest change? Well, I just want to give props to uh, at Darius Lake, first of all, for asking this question. I think it's a great one. I started surfing in 2007, Dave. I was 13 years old. It's 2023. It's going to be 16 years this summer. You know, I think competition-wise, it's probably the evolution of the judging criteria. And, you know, 15, 16 years, that isn't a huge amount of time. But I think it's still evolved to a point where it's made a significant impact on the championship tour. And people like Dane Reynolds, Jordy Smith, mm. they maybe weren't appreciated as much. You know, late 90s, early 2000s, they are a lot more now. So there's a huge difference in that. But I think overall, it's the impact that social media has had on surfing. Mm. People can make a living off of social media now. All of a sudden, you see this one kid, my buddy from El Salvador, Brian Perez. Next thing you know, he's getting a wild card into the event because he's made such a big impact on social media. That's actually how I met him. You know, I, I went down to El Salvador a few times. I had already met him um, a couple times, but he wasn't a big thing. Next thing you know, I see a video of him just doing these monster alley-oops, these combos at Punta Roca where you have the CT event. I go down there next time. I'm like, yo, like I didn't know you surfed this well last time I surfed with you. What happened? So it can make a, a person go from zero to hero overnight. And I think that's spectacular because it opens a lot of doors and opportunities for a lot of these surfers that don't maybe have access to a lot of the structures competitively that a lot of other nations have, Dave. I love that. And I think you can confirm or deny this, but I have heard a story about Brian Perez uh, from the team at Billabong that, you know, that social media output kind of put him on the radar to the point where they go, oh, this, this kid surfs pretty well. Like, we're going to take our A team there. We need sort of a surf guide to take us around and, and take care of us. And they reached out to Brian. He was going to be their guide for the trip. And then after the first day of surfing, it became evident that he was surfing as good <laughs> or even better than a lot of their paid team riders. And so Billabong's like, 
cool. That was easy. You're on the team now. And um, I just think that's cool. The democratization of kind of access to high performance surfing and, and people being able to, as you pointed out, like change their livelihoods through it. It, it is really, really cool. Um, our second question is a specific Mitchell Salazar question. It's from at Coco underscore Chris, who asks, why does Mitchell love making Joe and Kaipo try to speak Spanish on the spot? Well, the first of all, I love the question. Thank you for addressing it directly to me, too. Um, first of all, Joe's a great friend of mine. I text him almost every day. We're, we're big baseball fans. We talk a lot about other sports and whatnot. And Joe's actually somebody that knows a decent amount of Spanish. So whenever I have the chance to teach him something more or just kind of interact with him in that language, I'm going to do it. And especially when we're going to Latin American countries, too. Kaipo, on the other hand, everybody knows my relationship with him. It's kind of like uncle and nephew. We jab at each other every now and then. But I definitely love Kaipo and I love working with him. And to me, it's an opportunity to bring out his fun side when I do that. And especially when we're trying to learn new things about each other, Dave, and about our cultures and the locations that we go to, it's a fun experience to do it this way, I feel. I'm into it. I think uh, surfing is uh, should be for anyone that wants uh, to engage with it. It's a lot more expansive than it's probably been positioned over the decades. So I'm all for uh, bringing in a little bit of culture for, for everybody and uh, you know pushing them um, in their comfort zones. I'm, I, I love it. I love it. Okay, Dave, our third question, and this is a great one because I think you're really going to enjoy it going into our segment after this. Do you think we will see any CT competitors like Jack Robinson switch shapers this tour? The question by at Levi Tahi one. I do love this question. It's positioned very well in our outline ahead of our uh, Vizsla CT shaper rankings breakdown. And it's so interesting. Like, um, so Jack Robinson just won, you know, the Billabong Pro Pipeline on a sharp eye. Um, he's someone who we've talked about, had a great relationship with Arakawa, who's an Oahu-based shaper um, for years and years and years. He switched it up in the in the last couple of seasons. He signed exclusively with sharp eye, and it's transformed his surfing um, everywhere. Right. That said. You know, I, I was still keeping an eye out, especially with someone like Jack, because he still has a great relationship with Arakawa. If he was going to have a couple of those boards with him in Hawaii, you saw, you know, fellow Sharp Eye team rider Kanoa Igarashi actually was riding Arakawa's out at the pipe event this season. So um, it's interesting. I, I do think the, the, the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings and the conversation with our, that we're having, the conversation that's happening on social media broadcast it may have the effect of having shapers look at the rosters, look at the opportunity on tour, and it may have a balancing effect. We, we're going to get into it, but we kind of talked about in that last episode how there's really three tiers of shapers at the moment on the CT. And there's a few that have, you know, six, seven, sometimes more uh, team riders on the CT. There's a bunch that have, you know, two to three. And then there's a bunch that just have their number one team rider um, on tour. It wouldn't surprise me if that kind of leveled out a little bit more just by virtue of this. And if it does, that would mean that CT competitors would be switching shapers. But I think that's awesome. I think it's like any other sport where, you know, there's trades and acquisitions happening. And, and I think, you know, people are always looking for the best equipment to get on uh, to, to kind of push their own performance, get the results they want. So, yeah, my answer is yes. What, what about you, Mitch? What do you think? 
I, I think your explanation was perfect um, because I think there's always opportunities to grow, especially if you're if you're a contender for the world championship. It should be a no brainer that you're willing to do anything in order to make it that far. You know, um, I think, yes, but I don't think from a permanent standpoint, because I think mm. it's been demonstrated that certain shapers, despite not being as well known or maybe as well renowned for certain boards and certain locations, they can still make quality boards. I mean, look at Bradley with Leo. He just made the final on that board. Um, look at Rusty with Belly Back-to-back years, Dave. I told you during our bonus episode, this guy's here to make some noise. Guess what? Another semifinal here at Pipeline, and he's on a Rusty. You know, he's the only surfer on either the men's side or the women's side that's riding Rusty surfboards. And those are well-known surfboards. Everybody knows they work well. So I'd have to say yes, you know, if it came down to it, to a specific location, especially at lower trusses. I wouldn't mind seeing mm. somebody ride a mayhem there, uh, but that's only for the people that qualify for lowers. But um, I think from a permanent standpoint, I don't see that happening. I think they go back to the, their original shaper afterwards. Interesting, interesting. Well, it will be fun to track, right? Because if someone does make a huge uh, trade in a sort of a permanent way and signs with, you know, one of these brands that, that was maybe looking to buoy its team roster, um, you and I will get to talk about it on the podcast. I'm all for it, which uh, does bring us to our final segment of today's show. It is now time for the Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings. Shaper Rankings! So these rankings were introduced just before the season started. What it is is a combined men's and women's ranking where we are counting all results for quarterfinals or better. Um, the shaper that is supporting the surfer gets the corresponding result. And when the dust settled at the Billabong Pro Pipeline, we had our original top five heading into sunset. Um, leading the way was last year's sort of mock winner um, when we did the mock rankings. Uh, Sharp Eye, they have the, the largest team on tour this year. Um, they took out the big win, um, buoyed particularly by Jack Robinson's win in the men's event. Um, but also, you know, Tatiana Weston Webb on the women's side, as well as Felipe Toledo, they both got quarterfinal results. And while Sharp Eye does have the biggest team, um, they, they, they rankings are actually a lot closer than I think uh, people think they are. And, and a couple of those results go the other way, and you're going to see a, a radically different top five. But at the moment, Sharp Eye's in pole position. He's followed by Mayhem, who actually didn't get any results on the men's side. Both of his came from the women's side. Uh, Pizel, uh, Channel Islands, back in the top five. And then DHD in the fifth spot. Um, Pretty exciting opening event. I, I was I was eagle-eyed on everyone's equipment and trying to trying to assess like are they switching? Are they da da da? W- what did you think? Because Mitch, we talked about this program heading into the event. Did it impact the way you watched the Billabong Pro Pipeline? And it was so funny every day during the contest period, and especially when we were on. I was texting you, "Hey, what's <laughs> going on? Who's riding what and whatnot?" But you know, I thought that uh, equipment selection was on point for this event. Especially, I want to give a huge shout out to Channel Island Surfboards. The way that Joao Shianka looked on both of its boards, whether the CI Pro or the other board that's still undisclosed, they both <laughs> looked awesome out there. And I think, especially for Channel Islands, this is a huge boost for both their confidence and especially in terms of the Shaper rankings. Huge day of going to Sunset Beach, which is, I would have to say, out of the first five events, maybe the most difficult event to do well at. 
So mm. big props to Channel Islands. I thought obviously Sharp Eye doing great as always, but also Slater Designs with Sakura in the semifinals. They're moving up a little bit. They're not in the top five, but at least they got some points on the board. I don't know what you think, Dave, after the, after the first stop. Totally. And I'm glad you brought up Sakura and Slater Designs too, because she was awesome this year. And we talked a little bit about it in, a, in the other episode where we were kind of eyeing is Katie Simmers, who rides for Chris Bors Surfboards out of San Diego, is she going to be a repeat of what happened to Betty last year? Betty came in with all this hype um, and then fell off tour at the relegation line. Betty has a year of experience under her belt. She's even better as a surfer. And she just looked awesome in the event. Not just the surfing, but just her poise, her confidence. You know, she was really emanating like, like, elite level vibes at the event yep. and um it was interesting to see and and you know her fellow slater designs uh team rider is none other than 11 time world champion and the previously defending billabong pro pipeline winner kelly slater he didn't have the best event you know he he went down to iago dora probably in a heat that on paper people would look at okay it's little running back door Kelly should have Iago's number here. It didn't happen. And, and it really begs a lot of questions as to what will happen next with Kelly. Um, we know that he, he has an interesting relationship with Sunset Beach. We know that he's <laughs> achieved so much in his career. Where do you kind of guesstimate his motivation is heading into the next four events? Well, I don't think his motivation for the next event is very high, Dave. I can tell you that. You know how he feels about Sunset Beach. And that's why I laughed when when you mentioned his relationship being a bit awkward with Sunset. But, you know, I think his motivation is to requalify and eventually try to make it to lowers. Like, it's no secret that if he's here, he's still willing to to do anything he can to win a world championship. The one thing I will say, though, is that his board selection at waves like Sunset, to me, is still a bit off. That's mm. one wave where I really think that you need to ride something that's particular to the wave. And maybe he'll shut me up. Maybe he'll deny that fact that it, it needs to be that way. I remember Timmy Reyes back in the day during a six-star prime, which is now a Challenger Series event. He rode a small quad, made it all the way to the round of 32, I think, on that thing. So it's not necessarily that, but I think you're just putting yourself in a much more position to succeed a higher position to succeed if you're riding equipment that's capable of doing well at a venue like that. Interesting. And and when you're talking about his prior equipment selection at Sunset Beach, are you talking about the board model, the board size? Like Kelly historically likes to ride kind of smaller, stubbier equipment. Yeah. He's incredible on it. But Sunset Beach is even at head high, is such a wild field of play that even just having enough board to move around and position yourself in the right spot on the wave is is pretty important what, what do you kind of mean when you say you know the equipment he's selected out there in the past hasn't maybe been up to the venue yeah i think maybe just a bit too narrow you know mm. i definitely think that sunset beach is a wave where foam is your friend no doubt you want to have as much volume as you can especially to get into waves that's one location in particular that I think positioning is the most important aspect of competing well there, Dave. And if you're not positioned well due to the lack of equipment that you're having, especially when it comes to volume and maybe the length of the board, you're not going to do well. Case in point, Baron Mamiya, local boy, he knew exactly what he needed to ride last year. Guess what? Made it a finals day, ended up winning, left with a, uh, with a yellow jersey going into the events in Portugal. 
Interesting. You know, you, you, you brought up Rusty before, and I, I think it's worth kind of running down the people who did collect points at the opening stop. So there's 16 potential uh, spots for, for people to collect points, um, shaper-wise. And it's interesting, too, because we're looking at kind of the, the rankings throughout the season at the moment, and they're, they're not all the biggest teams, right? We talked about Sharpie. Um, they have a big team. They did very well. Mayhem's got a good-sized team there in second. Pizel's only got two surfers. They both performed. You know, so he's in third. Channel Islands mid-sized team, DHD mid-sized team. But as you pointed out, Christian Bradley is one surfer. That surfer got to the finals, finished runner-up, made some headway. Slater Designs, we've talked about. They've got two surfers. Rusty, we've talked about one surfer. TNC Surf, two surfers. And then Smith Surfboards with Jordy Smith, one surfer. So I think the cool thing about these rankings, which we've talked about a little bit, is do we count every surfer? Well, no, that's not really fair because board companies are radically different sizes. Do we just count <laughs> one surfer per, per team? Well, no, that's not really fair because some companies invest in a lot of surfers and that doesn't really reflect yeah. how that, that board builder is going. So I'm liking what I'm seeing, at least from the first stop in terms of who collected those points, because it's quite the mix of those three tiers of shapers. What do you think? Dude, you make a great point. I think you actually make the best point out of everything because I was about to bring up Smith Shapes and how well Graham Smith designed boards for the first two events for Jordy Smith. We're talking about somebody who I think is one of the very best surfers that we've ever had in the history of professional surfing. I remember that debate that they had going on, oh, who's better, Jordy or Dane? At that point in time, they didn't care. All they cared about was getting those big contracts in order to fund their travels and their championship tour competitions throughout the years. And guess what? His relationship with O'Neill is as good as it is at this point, which is what, 16 years into their relationship right now. Boards, that's another topic. He was up with CI, had a couple of stints with JS too. They weren't working the way he wanted to. He went back to his original shaper, which was his father. Quarterfinal finish, it's the second best result at Pipeline ever. He's had a semifinal there before. But after a big, bad injury last season, just to make it this far into the event, I would have to say Smith Shapes with a runner-up finish that Jordy's had in 2006 at Sunset Beach. They're looking good to move up in the rankings going into Portugal after Sunset, Dave. I love that you brought Jordy up because it, it does bring me to a, a, a pet topic, a conversation of mine, which is... Obviously, the championship tour has the best men's and women's surfers on the planet, and every single one of them has the potential to beat anyone at any spot on any given day. That said, there are few surfers, even in that elite group, that were really earmarked to win a world title. The hype machine was loud, and you look at someone like a Jordy Smith and the aforementioned Kolohe and Dino, and... Those are two surfers that the surfing world identified early, early, early on as world title uh, holders. And neither of them have yet to win a world title. Jordy's won a number of CT events. Uh, Kolohe has yet to win a CT event. Do you think that it's this season in particular for someone like Jordy, we'll keep it on him, is almost a now or never season? Do you think that he has to perform this season or in the next couple of seasons or his motivation will wane? Or do you think he's got another 10 years in him at this point? I think 10's pushing it. Um, just, you know, the, the way he he uses his body and what he puts his body through. Um, I mean, we're talking about one of the be very best surfers, especially when it comes to progression. And if John John's a case in point, 
These people's limbs and their joints, they don't last very long and they need to stay as healthy as possible. He's going to be 35 years old in a few days. He has the same birthday as Kelly, February 11th. You know, 10 years is a long shot, but I think at least another good five years he has in him until age 40. What I will say about Jordy Smith is that he's very persistent and both him and Kolohe are products of their environment. Mm. And if you've ever been to South Africa and you know how resilient those people are, Jordy won't give up. And that's one thing I've always admired about him is that, you know, every now and then people say that he comes across as cocky. I disagree. I think that's just the way he is and the willingness that he has to win and to succeed in a sport that gives him so much and has given him so much over his career, I think is going to go a long way. And starting off with the quarterfinal, he's got a good shot at making lowers. And then if he makes lowers, he's won there twice, Dave. Watch out. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, before we we close out on our our initial Vizsla CT Shaper rankings uh, segment for the season, you know, one of the things that we teased before Pipe started was the the preponderance of local area shapers, especially in Hawaii, your Takoros, your Pangs, your Arakawas, and we've certainly cited a few of the surfers using them in the opening event. But when the dust settled, it was only TNC Surf Glenn Pang that that had collected any of the points from quarterfinals or better finishers um, via Brisa Hennessy's quarterfinal finish. There were a number of surfers riding to Coros, right? You had Gabriel Medina, yep. you had uh, Jadson Andre before he got injured, a ton of them. You know, what do you make of that at the opening event? Do you think it was more a function of, you know, the forecast and the waves? And do you expect to see maybe a better result performance from the local area shapers at Sunset Beach? I wouldn't be surprised, especially with the amount of success that they've had out there before. Um, you look at both Tokoro and Palizel, a couple other guys have won events there before. One mm. of them being Ezekiel Lau, who rides to Coros now. John John Florence rides for Palizel. They've both been champions at the World Cup of Surfing. Wouldn't be surprised to see a few other surfers kind of navigate towards those boards. I also think that a couple of shapers that we haven't mentioned, you know, probably have a, sh- a chance of getting their boards in there too. Jeff Bushman is a mm. great shaper from the North Shore. I really love his boards. John Carper, JC, mm. as you remember, Shane Dorian made those boards popular back in the day. And I think one person that I really think is underestimated is Brett Marumoto. That mm. guy's a Hawaiian shaping legend. And if you know, he's a great pipeline surfer, but also rips at waves like Sunset Beach. To say that it's a guarantee that that's going to happen, I don't think so. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple of people that are in the top 10 of the rankings ride a local Hawaiian shapers board. What do you think about it, Dave? I think you're totally right. And great catch on the the Pizel uh, uh, miss for me. I, I kind of, Pizel to me, since since Tyler and John ride their boards everywhere throughout the season, I kind of consider him like a global shaper as opposed to a local <laughs> yeah. shaper. But you're totally right. Like he, he is you know, a Hawaiian developed shaper in a lot of ways. And it's, it's impressive to see what he's done, not just in Hawaii, but elsewhere, you know, John was riding that wildcat model in the event on the smaller days. The thing looked insane. Um, it's cool to see someone like John, not just build boards for, 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 you know, 
a plus pipeline a plus rock piles holly eva but you know on sort of more civilian sized days too and and to your point there's so many great shapers um on the north shore in hawaii um certainly the ones you mentioned and and yeah i think the stakes that are going into ct stop number two for a lot of these surfers specifically the ones that didn't get the results they wanted in the opening event it wouldn't surprise me if they were if they were looking into some local lumber to get the job done. Um, I'm yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think Sunset Beach is such a complicated wave too. I wouldn't even be surprised to see a couple of them caddy for their surfers either. Mm. You know, Wade Takoro is such an excellent surfer. I've surfed with him uh, plenty of times, and he knows that spot better than anybody else. Miles Padaka, who actually doesn't ride local shaper boards anymore, I believe that he was working for JS. I don't know if that's still true, but that's a former champion out there. You get somebody like him to help you out and say it's it's a shaper as good as John Pizel that also serves very well. Right. That's a person that you definitely want to have in your corner because they have experience at that specific location too, Dave. That makes a ton of sense. Well, that brings us to a close for our Vizsla CT Shaper Rankings check-in following the Billabong Pro Pipeline. Uh, the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach is up. The window starts on February 12th. Mitch, it was super fun. I think we're going to talk again before that event starts. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. And um, I'm glad that the surfers that should have won the event ended up winning. And who knows? Sunset Beach is going to end up being, I think, one of the one of the best events of the year and always produces some upsets. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. Right on, Mitch. We'll talk to you soon. So that's it. That's the lineup conversation with myself and Mitch Salazar. I hope you enjoyed it. Congrats again to Carissa Moore and Jack Robinson on winning the opening event of the 2023 WSL Championship Tour season, the Billabong Pro Pipeline. And congrats to Marcio Zuvi and the Sharp Eye Surfboards team for leading the Vizsla CT Shaper rankings heading into Sunset Beach. The next stop on the 2023 WSL Championship Tour is the Hurley Pro Sunset Beach, which starts on February 12th and will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. Today's episode is produced by Miguel Clemente and Mitch Salazar with art direction by Jason Penning and copywriting by Dan Willen. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that it's recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, the Kumeye, and the Wanenyo native people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are, and we'll see you next Tuesday.